So I know that uh, Adam already mentioned our veterans this morning, but you know the old saying that uh, there's only two people that have been willing to die for you. That's Jesus and the American soldier. And so um, if you're a veteran this morning, would you just stand up and let us recognize and honor you this morning? I know we've got several of you. Go ahead. Thank you. Thanks for your service. I don't want you to raise your hand this morning, but just um, you can giggle on the inside if this has ever been you. Your kid gets up in the morning and uh, comes out for breakfast or whatever and says, Mom, Dad, uh, I forgot today is the canned food drive at school. Uh, or you happen to remember you got a highlighter circled on the calendar on your fridge. You get up in the morning, you realize, oh no, today is the day that the post office is picking up canned food for their canned food drive. And so um, what do we do? We go to the um, cupboard and we begin to look um, and we pick things out like, oh, black beans. Nobody in our family likes black beans. I think I'll give that to them people. Uh, beef broth expired. Okay, give that. <laughs> Go. Uh, okay, cream corn. Nobody likes cream corn. And the only ramen noodle that nobody in our family will eat. Let's put that in there. Okay. Okay, so surely you've been there, right? You, you give that stuff, you know, like grandma last year, she brought over a box of mac and cheese that wasn't Kraft which is crazy because it's not the same. I don't know. It's not the same. And so like, you're like, okay, I'm going to give that. Uh, we give the least of what we have, like not the best. We give the least often when we're in those situations. And, and we do that because we don't know who's going to get that food. We don't know them personally. And um, we don't really have any kind of love relationship with that person. And so we often give the least to those we know or love the least. And that's not really a bad thing. Like, that doesn't make us bad people. It's just not the best. This doesn't mean, again, that we're bad people. We're just more willing to give not quite our best to those we don't know or to those who don't know us. So if you're walking out of the store, pretty soon we're going to start seeing red kettles all around, right? And maybe you've been there like, like I have, and, and I come out of the store and I've got a few coins in my pocket, and so I take them out and uh, I put them in the, in the red kettle. Even though I might have 10 or 20 or $100 in my wallet that I could give, but I don't know that person ringing the bell. And uh, I know I'm going to come out of the store a whole lot more, and so I just put a little bit in. Or, or maybe it comes time to volunteer, and, and we volunteer for an hour, and we're like, oh, that's plenty, even though we maybe had two or three hours that we could give. You've probably been in a situation where you had the means to do more, but chose to do less. I think the same is true and can be true when it comes to our worship our service, and our love for God. Sometimes we as believers think that 
Christianity or that coming to church is this thing that we're supposed to do so that when we come here, God up his heaven is watching us and he pulls out the little gold stars that look like little churches, if you remember that from VBS or Sunday school and you're a little kid, and they find, he finds your name on the big list and he puts a gold star by that weekend. You go, okay, you were there. And you're going to get to heaven and you're going to find your name and you find this long list of gold stars and you're going to say, woohoo, I got more than you. We treat our church attendance, we treat God as though it's something that we check off the list that gets us something when we get to heaven. It's about, but, but it's not about that. It's about making time for the God of the universe, honoring him for all that he's done, encouraging others in their walk with Jesus, giving our undivided attention for at least an hour or so to worshiping God, recognizing and worshiping God for who he is. See, worship is about giving our best to God and others because he gave his best for us. But often church and worship stuff is like giving our least favorite cans of food. We end up giving God the least of our lives. And so I'm going to say the bottom line for today as we're going through this message is this. That the proper response to the love of God is loving God. The proper response to the love of God is loving God in return. We're not the only ones to give God less than he deserves. Last week we looked at the first few verses of Malachi chapter 1 and we discovered that the presence of pain in our lives doesn't mean the absence of God from our lives. What God was trying to help his people understand is that um, he wants you to know, he wants us to know that God loves us, that God loves you. That's what he wants us to understand, that even in the midst of trouble and difficulty and struggle, God's love is present, and he's with us through all of those times, even when we don't fully see him or recognize him. And that when we begin to understand this incredible love that God has for us, we discover a fresh faith as we see this incredible love that God has, as we begin to rediscover his love for us. Today we're going to be in the rest of chapter 1 in Malachi. God is still talking through his prophet to his people and really to us today. And I think what we're going to see is that God is not interested in dead religious activities or traditions. God loves us and he wants our love in return. But we all too often give him our leftovers. And so the proper response to the love of God, right, is loving God. And I think what we're going to see in the rest of chapter 1 is this idea that this is how we love God. That there's a way for us to love God and to love God as he deserves and in a way that honors him for what he's done in our lives. So we're going to jump into Malachi chapter 1. Verse 6, you can follow along on the screen, on your mobile device, your uh, Bible, or um, at my message notes. If you go to reallifecc.us, scroll down, click on the my message notes link, and uh, you'll have all the verses there as well. So there's a lot of Bible today, okay, so we're just going to dive into it. Malachi 1, beginning in verse 6. Isn't it true that a son honors his father? And a worker, his master. Okay, this is God talking through the prophet of Malachi to the people. 
Isn't it true that a son honors his father and a worker his master? So if I'm your father, where's the honor? If I'm your master, where's the respect? God of the angel armies is calling you on the carpet, and I just realized I didn't pull up the thing. Okay. So I had this really great idea to read to you this morning from the message version because it really was good and I forgot to change it on the screen slides. So I'm going to read it from the message version and you just kind of listen because it's really good. I think it'll uh, fit better. Uh, We'll understand it a little better. So you can follow along up there, but it's not going to be quite the same. If I'm your father, where's the honor? If I'm your master, where's the respect? God of the angel armies is calling you on the carpet. You priests despise me, but you say not so. How do we despise you? By your shoddy, sloppy, defiling worship. You ask, what do you mean defiling? What's defiling about it? When you say the altar of God is not important anymore, the worship of God is no longer a priority, that's defiling. When you offer worthless animals for sacrifices in worship, animals that you're trying to get rid of, blind and sick and crippled animals, isn't that defiling? Try a trick like that with your banker or your senator. How far do you think you'll get? God of the angel armies asks you. Get on your knees, he says in verse 9. Pray that I will be gracious to you. Your priests have gotten you in trouble with this kind of conduct. Do you think I'll pay attention to you? Why doesn't one of you just shut the temple doors and lock them? Then none of you can get in and play at religion with this silly, empty-headed worship. I am not pleased. The God of angel armies is not pleased, and I don't want any more of this so-called worship. Now, if you were to hear God say that, to you. Like if he ripped the roof off the building and said that to us, that would be pretty terrifying, wouldn't it? Pretty crazy. And in the first section here, God is talking, I think, specifically to the priests who take the people's offerings and prepare them. They're the ones who actually go to the altar of God and offer it. In the Old Testament, remember, we're talking about the sacrificial system. So if you sinned, there was a specific animal that you were to get based on your sin and on your income, and you were to bring that to the priests, you offered that to the priest, to God, to pay the price for your sin. And so there was a whole ritual involved. If you brought a lamb, they would have the head of the household would place his hand on the head of the lamb or the sheep, and they would symbolically transfer the sin of the person or the family to that animal. And then the priests had a specific way that they were to prepare that animal to be sacrificed on the altar, to shed its blood. And they sprinkled its blood on the altar and in other places around the temple. And then they put it up on the altar and they sacrificed it in the fire to God. God is saying, look, you're supposed to give me the best that you have. And when he started this with Moses um, and and when they came out of uh, Egypt, and he started this idea of worshiping and giving God your best, he said, you're to take the best lamb, the best sheep, the best goat, the best that you have and sacrifice it. It was supposed to cost us something because sin is costly. And so we're supposed to make this connection. And and the the Israelites in the day were supposed to make this connection and go, look, 
I don't want the expense of having to sacrifice my best animal or pay for this expensive animal just to sacrifice it. And so I'm not going to sin. It was to keep them from sinning. But instead of that, they decided, I'm just going to keep doing whatever I want to do, and I'm just going to take offerings to the temple and sacrifice them. Well, it got expensive, and so what they were doing was finding the worst instead of the best and saying that was good enough. The priests are the ones in charge, though, and they were not standing up for God. They were just taking what was being given to them and offering it to God as though everything were fine. Now, what the priest should have done was when somebody came in with an offering that was not acceptable, they should have stopped them and said, I'm not going to offer that to the God of the universe on your behalf. It's not worthy of God. But they didn't do that. And because the priests let the people get away with bringing their leftovers, the priests then were being held accountable by God, and their lack of a backbone had gotten the whole kingdom in trouble. In fact, God is so upset with the priests and with the people that he says, look, it would be better for you just to shut the doors of the temple and not allow anyone to come in and make a sacrifice. And remember, that was the only way back then they could pay for their sin and get their sin forgiven. It'd be better just to shut the doors and don't let anybody come in than to play religion with empty, silly-headed worship. And I think what we get from this is, is this one really simple truth, that God deserves more. Whatever it is, God deserves more. Preacher, to get up here each Sunday, things that make you feel good about yourselves or, or uh, just be motivational about what God wants for you or has for you, that, that hey, if you just come in and believe in Jesus, that look, God is going to line up the blessings for you. All you got to do is believe, and he's just going to start giving you every dream that you've ever had. He's going to make everything come true. It's going to be a wonderful time for you. All your wildest dreams will come true if you just believe. It would be really easy for me to say that, and you probably like that. You might enjoy that. It would be good. I could write really eloquent speeches about God, and, and it would be really great, except we'd probably all go to hell together. So whether it's the giving talk or communion, the music or the message, what I want is for you to hear from God. And that may be conviction. It may be instruction. It may be correction, but I don't want you to be comfortable when you come to church. I want you to be convinced that God loves you more than anything and wants you and everyone else to experience real life, the real life that comes through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, and I want you to look more like him every day because I believe that if we could really get a hold of that as a church, as a people, it would radically change our lives. I don't want God to ever say to me or to whoever comes after me as the pastor of this church, look, just shut the doors. It would be better if nobody came to worship at Real Life Church than for you to just continue to play and dishonor me in worship. But it wasn't just the priests who had blown it. The people had got it wrong when it came to worship as well. So here's what it says in the rest of Malachi 1. 
God says this time to the people, I think, more so, I am honored all over the world. And there are people who know how to worship me all over the world, who honor me by bringing their best to me. And they're saying it everywhere, God is greater, all except you. Instead of honoring me, you profane me. You profane me when you say worship is not important. And what we bring to worship is of no account. And when you say, I'm bored, this doesn't do anything for me. You act so superior, sticking your noses in the air, act superior to me? I'm God of the angel armies. And when you do offer something to me, it's a hand-me-down or broken or useless. Do you think I'm going to accept it? This is God speaking to you. A curse on the person who makes a big show of doing something great for me, an expensive sacrifice, let's say, and then at the last minute brings in something puny and worthless. I'm a great king. God of the angel armies, honored far and wide, and I'll not put up with it. You will never experience God's best for your life if you're giving him the least from your life. Let that sink in just a little bit. I think that's what Malachi is trying to tell us. And so often we come to this place in Christianity, we go, God, you're not doing enough for me. We want all the best that God might give us, but we want it by giving him the least of what we have. God, I'm going to give you the least, but I want you to give me your best. The Israelites were bringing God the worst they had instead of their best, and it was a reflection of their hearts. They had lost their passion, zeal, and obedience to the command of God. The temple worship of their day was supposed to be this grateful expression of their their hearts and this deep devotion to the command of God. The temple worship was, was supposed to be this big, important, and expressive thing where they came to God as the the one true God of the universe. But instead, their worship had become weak, old leftovers. But even, even beyond what they brought, the people were complaining that even the act of showing up at the temple had become boring and tiresome. They no longer delighted in the presence of God and each other. And I think the same thing happens today. Only today when we come to church, we're not just competing with a a warm and dry bed on a wet, cold Sunday morning. We're competing as a church that God's competing against football, against fishing, against kids' sports and the gym, against golf when it's a nice day out. God has taken a back seat, not just to the occasional special event in our lives. He's been pushed aside for every other activity under the sun. And sometimes even no activity at all. I just need to sleep in one day. So I want to take a look at at three areas that the people were slacking in when it came to their worship for the Israelites. And and I think we'll find that, that we sometimes slack in these areas too. 
And so the first thing in verse 11 that, that we read is that God says, look, you're acting like worship is not important. The early church in the book of Acts met together on the first day of the week, on Sunday, for four important purposes. To fellowship, to take communion or eat together, to pray, and to hear from God. Now, I've had people argue, I can do those things on my own. Yep, you can, to some degree. But you lose so much of what God intended the church to be for us. When I go to sporting events, uh, big sporting events, professional events, I almost always cry when the national anthem is sung. Now, that may be because I'm a little sappy. I'll grant you that. But there's something about a huge crowd singing together the national anthem. Just a few months ago, uh, I was at the uh, Cowboys game. There were over 90,000 people in the stadium that day. And the Cowboys always have a guy play the trumpet and he plays the national anthem and everybody sings together. You got 90,000 plus people. There were Cowboys fans and Giants fans. There were people from just about every nation probably. There was tons of people there. Different religious backgrounds, different colors of skin, different places and beliefs and everything. And yet in, as I looked around, I didn't see a single person sitting in that entire crowd. Everybody was standing together and singing the national anthem. There's something powerful that happens when we come together and we're unified around a single thing. Whether that's the national anthem or the person of Jesus Christ, when we come together and can look around and when we sing together and when we're here together, it's an important part of worship that you miss when you're all alone. How exciting would it be to go to a football stadium or a baseball stadium and sit up in the nosebleed section and be the only one in attendance. Not nearly the same atmosphere. Now they might put on a good show and it might be a good game, but it's going to feel different. When we come to church, we see that we're not alone in our faith. That there are other people We're encouraged by their presence. And again, there's something about being together, about singing, about taking communion together that binds us in a special way. Adam talked this morning, communion talk, about our stories and the suffering that we've had. But it's not just the suffering, it's our It's the times that we've won as well, the times that we've overcome the the temptations in our lives, the ability to share those good times and those bad times with other people. It's encouraging when we come together, when we see one another, and we can go, look, you're here, and I'm here, and we're here together. We made it through another week, and we can head through another week as well. Let me take a second out to just say, um, you know that we're working towards live streaming, and we're, we've almost got all the parts purchased for that. We, we still need some volunteers to help with cameras and, and different things, and so if you're interested, let me know after church, and we'll get you plugged in. But, but there have been some things, you know, like I, I struggle with this. Well, if we do live stream, aren't we encouraging people to stay home and not be a part of what's going on here? And I suppose that's true. 
But those people who are watching or will be watching our live stream aren't here now. So what we want to do is try to connect those people in a way that we can't right now and encourage them to come. In fact, this morning before you all showed up, I shot some video in the, in the back with Easton where we encouraged people, we're going to show that before the live stream, at the end of the live stream, and we're encouraging people, look, it's best for you to be in church. And so we're going to let you watch this live stream because you need Jesus, but we want you to find a church that you can go to. We want you to come and be a part of what God is doing here. It's best when we're together. So we want people to see what they're missing when they watch the live stream and go, I want to be there. That looks awesome. We need to come to church because God is worth it. Because he speaks to people here. Because your presence encourages the presence of others. And because there's something special that happens when the body of Christ comes together in a corporate way to worship, to sing, to take communion, to listen. We're all here together and focused on the same thing. You know, I did a study a long time ago. um, Did a study a long time ago on the word unity in the Bible. I was in a smaller church, and we were running two worship services, and I had people coming to me, been at church for a long time, and they go, you know, it just doesn't seem like, it seems like we've got two different churches, and we're just not unified. And so I did a study in the Bible on the word unity and where it comes up and what it means in the Bible. And every single time the word unity is used in the Bible, it's speaking about being unified around a single purpose or thing. And in Scripture, that's Jesus. And so it doesn't matter whether you're going to church here or you're going to church down the street. We can be united if our Jesus is the same. And so when we come together, we're united even though we may have different skin colors. We may not even believe everything exactly the same. But if you got Jesus, then we can be united by that. And there's something powerful that happens when the church is united and we come together. The next thing that he says is that when you come to worship, that we bring, what we bring to worship is of no account, he says again in verse 11. And I was thinking, what do we bring to worship today? In 2019, what do we bring to worship? And and the answer is, I don't know, not much. Like maybe we bring an offering, perhaps. We bring ourselves. Maybe we bring our, our families. So what could it mean for us? I think there's one important thing that we bring when we come to church. And it seems kind of silly and kind of cliche, but I think it's important. I think each and every one of us bring an attitude to church. An attitude, hopefully, of what do you have for me today, God? And sometimes we don't get that. Sometimes we have an attitude of, of like consumerism, like I'm going to come to church and if it's good enough, if the worship is good enough, if the preacher is good enough, if they have enough communion, if the seats are comfortable enough, then I'm going to give and I'm going to feel like I got something out of it. What I've noticed in church over the last 20 years is that often the people who seem the happiest to be here on Sunday mornings are the people who come early to serve. And that's kind of weird to me because they got to get up early. 
Jeff and Ray help set up at 7 a.m. every Sunday morning. They've been doing it for years. They come sore and sick. But they've never come without a smile. And our band comes in, or Amber, our kids volunteers, Pam, the ladies who help with the coffee, they come to get this place ready for you every Sunday, and they're always happy about it. And during worship, they're excited when you come in. They're excited to see the seats full when we come together to worship. There's something special about that. And I think it's this, that when you serve others, you're worshiping God. God takes our service of others, our treatment of others, seriously. And I'm, I'm so thankful to serve at Real Life with such dedicated volunteers. I often get people, um, I'm going to get on a soapbox a little bit, I often hear people say, well, I don't, I don't want to serve because I don't want to miss out on the message, or I don't want to miss out on the worship. And I, I understand that. In fact, I'm thankful for it. I'm glad that you appreciate being here, that you want to be here, that you don't want to miss anything that might be going on. But what happens on the flip side of that is that instead of a bunch of people missing out on the church service once in a while, we have a small group of people missing out on church all the time. And that makes it difficult. In fact, can, can I just say a little shout out to uh, our children's director, Amber, and her husband, Troy. They've got, um, they got four kids. Three of them are young, uh, young girls. And Amber is in the nursery this morning with some of her kids. And her husband, Troy, is in kids' church this morning. Neither one of them are able to be in here because they're both serving. And Amber um, is probably going to next week not serve in the nursery because she'll be serving over in kids' church. And the week after that, she'll probably switch back. And so during the week with her children and she homeschools, she's got to find the time, and she does during the week, to watch the messages back from Sunday that she missed. Now, I know she would appreciate being in here, but right now we don't have enough volunteers to cover everything, and so she goes back and forth. Now, I don't, I'm going to say that a little bit to make you feel bad. But what I really want to do is say, is say look, there's, when we come together and we serve, what are we bringing to God? Are we bringing an attitude of service? Are we bringing an attitude, are we bringing an attitude of expectancy when we come to worship? Make sure that what you bring to worship counts. And so bring an attitude of service. Bring an attitude of expectancy, of trust, of hope. Don't come to church because the band is good, or the kids' ministry is good, or the preaching is good. Come because God is good, and because he's honored here, and because he's worshipped here. And bring an attitude that, that gets you involved and allows you to be a part of what God is doing instead of a consumer of what God is doing. We're going to wrap up here quick. The third thing he says is, Sometimes you come to worship and, and we might say, church just doesn't do anything for me. I, I'm just going to say one thing about that. If church doesn't do anything for you, it's not the preacher and it's not the band and it's not the volunteers or the kids ministry or anything else, it's you. You've forgotten that church isn't about you or me. It's about Jesus. 
And so don't come for the preaching. Don't come for me. Don't come for others. You come to church for God. You come to church for Him. And if you're not getting anything out of it, it's probably because you're not putting enough into it. And that's not a cop-out for me. I work to make sure that what I share tries to meet the needs of everybody. We got people who are brand new Christians who don't know anything about the Bible. And we got people who have been Christians for a long time and think they know everything about the Bible. So trying to fit that in every week is, is difficult. It's not a cop-out for me. It's a challenge for you. Come on Sunday mornings expecting to meet God, expecting to him, to, him to share something with you through the message, through the music, through the, the, some conversation that you have with somebody. Come expecting, and you won't go home grumpy. Jesus said that if we wanted to show God love, that we'd obey him. The writer of Hebrews said this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. He says this is how we do that. By not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see Sunday approaching. So here's the challenge this week. Who can you encourage to join you next Sunday at church? And then prepare yourself to bring a positive attitude. Find a place to serve. Maybe you visit the Connection Hub after church this morning, but find a place to serve. Read your Bible in preparation for Sunday morning. Pray for Sunday. Pray for yourself that you'd hear from God and pray for me, that I'd be diligent in sharing his word. Because if you don't come to church expectant, if you don't come to church with your best, how can we expect his best? I think if we want to experience fresh faith in our lives, we'll put a greater emphasis on the things that are important to God, that we'll put a greater emphasis on being present with his people. And then we'll give our best in worship of him. I wonder what would happen as a church if we stopped giving God our leftovers. We stopped giving him our leftover time our leftover finances, our leftover attention? What would happen if we gave him our full devotion and love? If we obeyed him, if we worshiped him honestly and with abandon, and if we showed honor to him by placing a high priority on our presence with him and others each Sunday? I think one very awesome thing would happen. That he would make his name great here. That everyone would know there's a God in El Dorado who's doing something new. I think that would be pretty exciting to be a part of. 
And I think it will start when we realize that the proper response to the love of God is loving God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to give you our best. Not because of what we might get from you, but because of who you are. And so, Father, we, we want to bring our best to you on Sunday. Every day of the week. We, we want to be looking forward to this time when we come together. We want to love you in the way that you want to be loved. We want to bring our best offerings to you. We want to bring our best attitude on Sundays when we come to worship and, and each day. God, we don't want to be those people who say, church doesn't do anything for me, but we want to be so excited about it that we share it with our friends and neighbors, that we're talking about it on Monday morning at work. We're excited about what you're doing in our lives and about who you are. God, would you help us? Would you renew our hearts and our minds? That we might seek you above all else, that we might worship you with the best that we have, that we might not give up meeting together, but we would encourage one another every week as we know this day is coming. God, would you help us give you our best? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next week is uh, week number three of Fresh Faith, and we're going to see a picture of God and his people represented in, um, uh, in a couple things, in our giving, in our money, and in our marriages. And so I hope you'll join me next week.